one of the statements in the song is that, um, that God would look on him and pardon me. Isn't that a blessing? That's because of the cross of Calvary. And uh, we can see that so well portrayed at the cross. And if you'll take your Bibles to Matthew 27, Matthew 27 this evening. And uh, when you find your place, if we can stand, we'll be in the middle of the chapter. If you're able to stand with us tonight, and I like to stand in honor of the Word of God, and we find in the book of Ezra that they stood, in fact, a great length of time and read much of the Old Testament, and they did so in, in reverence to the Word of God. And, and you say, Pastor, boy, it's hard to stand for this length of time. I've got to stand through the whole sermon, so at least I can, I can have you stand for part of it here, so... Uh, there with it. Uh, Matthew 27, verse number 35. Matthew 27, verse 35. We're, we're done of the crucifixion. And it reads, And they crucified him and parted his garments. And by the way, the crucifixion is in each of the gospel. It's central to the, it's central to the gospel message. But in the four gospels, and each one of the gospels uh, gives us a little different viewpoint of the crucifixion. No contradictions. Uh, but we see a different perspective from each of the Gospels. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lot, or did they cast lots. And I want you to notice verse 36. This is kind of the, the focus verse that we're going to use tonight. And sitting down, they watched him there. You ever thought about that? It's kind of like they, they pulled up a chair and they came to the cross and they sat down and, and they watched him and he was the central figure. And so what I want to do here tonight is, is we're, we're going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to let you sit down and we're going to come to the cross tonight and be observers at the foot of the cross this evening. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. And would you pray that God would have his way here in this service? And as always, we so need the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Uh, again, this wonderful opportunity and privilege that we have here uh, to gather around your word. And thank you, Lord, for the Bible that you've given unto us. And in this Bible, uh, you just give us clear guidance, clear direction. And thank you, Lord, for presenting in this Bible the crucifixion and just showing us the price that was paid for our redemption. Lord, I thank you that by looking upon that sacrifice, I can be pardoned. And Lord, thank you. Uh, just the wonderful gift. Help us tonight as we open your word would you be our teacher this evening? We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this evening. And uh, we have been going, as you know, through the Gospel of Mark, but I've taken a little track through some of the other Gospels as we arrived at the crucifixion. In Mark chapter 15, verses 24 and 25, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever a man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Now, Matthew adds the detail that we pointed out there in verse number 36, and sitting down, they watched him there. And as we mentioned, Jesus Christ was the central figure. Uh, his was the cross in the middle, 
And it's almost as if the Lord set this particular cross in this particular location uh, that all of the world might observe and come to the foot of the cross, be drawn to the cross. And that, uh, that day, as Jesus was crucified, all eyes were there upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this, uh, if you were to put yourself back in that time frame, back in those days, uh, the story of Jesus, the fame of Jesus has gone throughout that region. And so there is much curiosity, no doubt, as they come to the cross and they hear the stories and have heard the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a miracle worker and it seemed there was nothing that he could not do. Uh, they had heard the stories of his casting out of demons, the stories of his healing, his stories of, of even raising the dead. And they've heard perhaps the story of calming the sea, and they've seen the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and now here's the Lord that is the one on the cross. He's being crucified. And so I would believe that in curiosity they've come, and they're looking there upon the foot of the cross, what's going to happen? What is he going to do? Uh, they knew that this was the one that taught as no man had ever taught. Uh, he taught not as the scribes and Pharisees, but he taught with great authority. Uh, he had many followers, many believing him to be the Messiah. Uh, there were multitudes that were expressing that this was the coming Messiah, that uh, some of them felt, felt he would deliver them from the Roman armies, and uh, he would deliver that nation, which is true, but that would be for a future time frame uh, in his second coming. And so as they're sitting down, as they're looking at Jesus Christ, they've come to the cross, and uh, how would Jesus respond? You can put yourself back in those days. You can think about the stories that have gone forth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracle-working uh, man, and all that he's done and accomplished, how would he respond to the crucifixion? I'm sure there were people there wondering, would he call angels? Uh, would he come down from the cross? Would he work another miracle? Would he deliver himself as he had uh, delivered many others? Would this be the test that would prove him to be the Messiah, to be the one that he claimed to be, or was he a fraud as everyone had been before him? And so they're coming to watch the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to pull up our chair, and I want us to come to the foot of the cross, and let's put ourselves in that position. Let's join those that are there gathered at the cross to watch the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see what we can learn. What can we observe here this evening from the foot of the cross? Now I want to consider, first of all, the setting. You think about the details here. Jesus was crucified at Golgotha. We've read that. We've read those accounts uh, that uh, Golgotha would be the place of the skull. And most people believe that it was given that name because it was a skull-shaped hill. Uh, it looked like a skull. And so it was called Golgotha. Now the Gospel of Luke tells us that this was Calvary. And so we call this Mount Calvary. That's where that term comes from. Mount Calvary, it's located outside the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, it would be on a major thoroughfare. And so this was a busy time of the year. Uh, it was the Passover. Uh, there were a lot of people that would come in and out of the city during this time. And because the city would be so crowded uh, during the night, many would leave the city. They would go to the outskirts of the city and there they would find lodging. And the next morning, they would make their way back into the city. And so the uh, cross, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, 
was located just near one of those major thoroughfares. And so as people would come in and out of the city, and this would have been early in the morning, 9 a.m. in the morning, uh, the third hour, and so we would have a great number of people coming back into the city, uh, and they would witness uh, this. Now there's this sign that is placed above the Lord Jesus Christ. It's read with the accusation, as we read here in verse number 37, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, even though that was the accusation, there is truth to that accusation, and that was reality, who he is. Uh, it was penned in three languages, penned in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And so it was there for all of the world to see as Jesus hung uh, there before the cross. Now that's kind of the scene that we would have. And now I, I'd like as we sit down, as we take our place there at the foot of the cross, let's consider the spectators uh, that are present. We know, of course, the two thieves. We preached on the thieves uh, there on Sunday night. Uh, one on either side. Look in verse number 38. It says, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And we go to verse number 44, and the Gospel of Matthew portrays this aspect of the thieves. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. And so the thieves, in the beginning, joined the crowds as they're mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, get this picture. Everything is turned toward that center man, that man in the middle, the man on the cross in the middle. And here are the thieves. They're watching the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the beginning, they're railing upon him. The Bible tells us in another of the Gospels uh, that uh, they expressed, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us also. And they're looking to the Lord Jesus Christ to work a miracle, not only for himself, but for them. Now, we know, of course, from the Gospel of Luke, that one of those thieves had a change of tune. And before this thing was finished, the thief on one side came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he's in heaven today. And what a beautiful account of somebody saved by the grace of God, saved at the last minute, calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I made the statement that I believe when we get to heaven, there are going to be some people in heaven that we never expected to be there. And I think there are some people that we expect to be there that never made it, because many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And it's very clear, religion will not get you to heaven, and good works will not get you to heaven. Uh, it's coming in humility and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved by His grace and by His grace alone. And we pointed out that that thief did not come down from the cross to get baptized or join a church or do good works. Uh, he was saved by God's grace. He was saved simply turning to the Lord, and that's what happened. As he looked on the cross, then the Lord looked upon him and pardoned him. And that's how everybody is saved who has ever been saved. So there are the two thieves. And then we have the crowds. Look in verse number 39. As we pull up a seat, uh, we notice I've mentioned that Golgotha, located outside the city walls, it's near a major thoroughfare. In verse 39 says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. As people are traversing into the city, most likely at this time, most of them, uh, they are looking to that cross and they begin to mock the one in the middle. Uh, I believe that purposefully uh, the Romans had positioned uh, this place of crucifixion that many passing by would see the criminals. And they would look at those criminals and they would be warned. 
And so as these crowds come into the city and they see the Lord Jesus Christ, he's identified with the thieves, he's identified as a criminal, and here very clearly the Bible says they reviled him, wagging their heads. Now because of the Passover, those routes, as we mentioned, were busy, many would pass by. And so you get the picture, a number of people are mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice in verse number 40, here is their statement as they come into the city and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And let me just uh, make mention here, he is the Son of God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it does not matter whether he comes down from the cross or not. He's Jesus. He's God. And can I say here tonight that whether a person believes in God doesn't make any difference as to whether God is real or not. God's real whether you believe in him or not. God's always God and he's always right and he's always good in every single case. And so here are the, the crowds and it's a revelation of the sinful human hearts of mankind. Now last night I preached up in Truchus and we used Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 would be a great expression of what took place here by the crowds at the cross. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And it's vanity to reject Jesus Christ. It's vanity to go against him. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying... Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their courts from us. And, and that's the heart of, of heathen man without Jesus Christ not wanting the Lord, breaking the bands or the cords of the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ in a life. And again, it doesn't matter what you do with Christ, he's still Christ. And so here in all of their discussion against the Lord, uh, we have the multitudes revealing their wicked hearts. Uh, verses 41 through 43, we, we have some more spectators. These are the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leadership. In verse 41, likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Uh, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now, uh, making a false statement here, if he comes down from the cross, we'll believe him. They had multitudes of opportunities, and yet they had still rejected. They had in their wicked hearts, they uh, knew the scriptures, they knew the promises of the Messiah. Uh, they had not believed those promises that had been given in the word of God. Had they been alert to the time frame of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, they would have known the very time frame that the Messiah would have presented himself to their nation, and yet they were blinded to their own scriptures. They were blinded to the miracles that Jesus had worked, and they purposefully rejected out of wicked hearts the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, of all people, should have known who Jesus was. But they likewise mocked the Lord Jesus. So you get the picture as we are sitting down there at the cross. From every side, every realm, the Lord is being mocked. He's being ridiculed. Uh, we come to verse number 35. And there are the Roman soldiers. And here in verse 35, they crucified him. And this would speak of the Roman soldiers. And they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them. And upon my vesture they did, or did they cast their lots, uh, they divided the garments uh, probably equally amongst them, but there was that seamless cloak 
which was a testimony of somebody that had invested a great deal of time in the Lord Jesus Christ in making that, and it was a very expensive garment. And so rather than cutting that into shreds and dividing it, uh, they cast lots for that, and who would ever win the lot would receive the seamless garment. Now, what becomes evident to them, Jesus was just another criminal. So they're looking upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there with the thieves, and they have dispatched of many criminals. They're ridding society of these criminals, and Jesus is just another one of the lot for them. But I want you to skip down a lot of verses to verse number 54. As they watched the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something that happened uh, with uh, some of their hearts and changed their attitudes. Now, the centurion, this would have been the commander of the Roman armies, that would have been dispatched to deal with the crucifixion. When the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And so something changed their attitudes and their minds by the end of the six hours of the crucifixion as they watched the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go to verse 55. Some more spectators at the cross. These are the women. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Now here are these women, they have been loyal and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that during his earthly ministry, they had served him, they had ministered unto him. And as they're watching the Lord afar off, it's very clear they're saddened, they're hurting, uh, they're grieved, they are confused. Uh, they have all sorts of emotions as they, they behold the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we also know from the Gospel of John chapter 19, verses 25, 26, and 27, that the Apostle John had been present there with the women as they beheld the crucifixion. Uh, because some of the words of Jesus Christ uh, in, these, in this uh, scripture. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister married the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, that's the apostle John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Uh, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. And so we know that John the apostle was present. And so what I want to do is we look at these spectators, we've We've seen the, 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 uh, the background of the cross. We've looked at the, the scene of the cross. And we see the spectators at the cross. And I want us to put ourselves in that group. Uh, observing the Lord Jesus Christ. And considering the price that has been paid for our sin. And uh, coming often, I believe, to the foot of the cross. We ought to, as a spectator, uh, with grateful hearts. Now, as we have pulled up our chair... And we've seen the different people involved in the crucifixion, observing the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some supernatural events that we begin to observe. As we look upon the cross, it soon becomes apparent. This is not an ordinary death. There are some supernatural things that begin to take place. Look at Matthew 27, verse 45. First, there would be the darkness. Now, from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness. Now that's not ordinary. This would have been the noon hour to 3 p.m., the brightest part of the day. 
but now this brightest part of the day is, is darkened. And I believe it's an indication that God the Father is turning His face, His back upon God the Son. And the wrath of God the Father is poured out because of the weight of the sin and the guilt of the sin and the shame of the sin that is placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord darkens the sky uh, during these hours of great suffering uh, that the Lord Jesus would face. And when I say great suffering, uh, the physical suffering, of course, we've talked about that, but, but I believe there's the spiritual separation, the spiritual suffering, the cost and the price of sin that is paid. So that's a supernatural event. We would also notice uh, and hear the story of the veil of the temple. Look in verse number 51. This is a supernatural event. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain as the Lord Jesus yielded up the ghost. The veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And so this is very significant. And in the past, we, we dealt with that thought. And uh, as Jesus cried, it is finished. And he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And here the Bible tells us that the veil is rent from top to bottom. And that's the uh, entry into the Holy of Holies that was accessible only once a year by the high priest. And he would come offering a blood sacrifice upon the mercy seat as an atonement for sin. And, and this is the indication now that the blood has been received in heaven. And the veil is rent in twain, top to bottom. It's placed on the mercy seat in heaven. And now the door into the throne room of God is open, accessible to all. That was a supernatural event that took place. And then we have the earthquake in verse 51. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And then we have just the indication something extraordinary is taking place. And then verse 52, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And this would be a, a picture or a type of the future resurrection. And that's an extraordinary event. That's a supernatural event. And all of these things are taking place around the scene of the cross. It's an indication this is not an ordinary death. This is something special. This is something supernatural. Now we started delving into the spoken words of Jesus from the cross. There were seven last statements of Christ. We've covered two of them pretty thoroughly, and I just want to quickly run through those seven statements. If we are pulling up a chair and we're witnessing the scenes of the cross, we're going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ as he expresses these last statements over those six hours of the crucifixion. Now the first words of Christ from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here is Jesus being mocked, ridiculed, spat upon. Uh, he's hanging naked before a world. Uh, they have no idea that this is truly the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the God of the universe and yet as Jesus hangs upon the cross, his first words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What patience. And as we preach through that section of Scripture, it really gives his purpose to come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
His next words from the cross we dealt with on Sunday night to the thief. Uh, Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And we saw that that thief was miraculously saved at the last moment, an indication that any person can come to Christ. And whoever turns to Christ, no matter how deep their sin or how far from God, in a moment of time can be forgiven. See, salvation is not a process, it's a miracle. And it's a miracle that takes place. It's a new birth. It's the work of God's Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Those were the second words. The third words from the cross are the words to his mother. When he said to his mother Mary, Woman, behold thy son. And he speaks that and pointing to John the Apostle, the Beloved. And then to John, he says, Behold thy mother. And as we think about this, here is Jesus at the point of death. Here's Jesus in deep physical pain, but here's Jesus, more importantly, in spiritual suffering, spiritual separation from his Father, and yet Jesus here at the last minute is still concerned for his mother. And what an indication of just the, uh, the love of the Lord, even in his death, focused upon others. And uh, every time I read about that, I, I think about my granddad, and I had the privilege of of going into the room with my grandpa, I'm the oldest grandson there, and had the privilege of going into uh, his deathbed about an hour before he passed. And uh, he said to me and just gave me some things and taught, uh, I, I talked with him about his salvation, and he told me as a 17-year-old boy he had been saved. But uh, his last words were to me, he said, Brian, I want you to take care of your granny. I want you to take care of grandma. Those were his last words to me is make sure granny is taken care of. And that's kind of where Jesus was at there from the cross, speaking of his mother. I think also a very clear indication that by this time, the stepfather, we called him the stepfather, he's not the real father of Jesus. His father is the heavenly father. Joseph was not his father, but by this time, Joseph has passed off of the scene. And Jesus, as the oldest son, is responsible for the care of his mother. Uh, then the next words, the fourth words from the cross, and we've talked about these words. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As darkness came upon the face of the earth, and the wrath of God is poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For the first time in all the history of the world, God the Father turned his back on God the Son, and that fellowship that had been for all of eternity was now broken. That's because of my sin and your sin. Those were the words of Jesus from the cross. His next words, I thirst. Uh, physical thirst, physical suffering is beyond comprehension, but I think it's a deeper thirst, and it's a thirst to know and fulfill the will of his Father. And he was obedient to the Father to the point of death. And then Jesus cried as it came to the ninth hour. It had been dark for three hours. He cried, it is finished. The price has been paid. It's done. It's complete. There's no more to add to what I've done. I've completed my mission. And then he spoke, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, spoken of in the Gospel of Luke. And having completed his mission on the cross, he committed himself into the hands of the Father. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. Now, if we are there at the foot of the cross, we would have heard those seven last statements of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a precious picture and message is given to us in those statements. But I want to wrap this up tonight with really the key 
to the cross. And it's the spiritual decisions that are made at the cross. See, the cross demands decision. One cannot pull up a chair and sit down and watch him there and remain neutral. When you come to the cross, you've got to do something about it. If you come to the cross and you recognize who he really is, heaven and hell hang in the balance. and Heaven and hell are determined by what one does with Jesus at the cross. As we come to the, the foot of the cross, and the Bible says sitting down, they watched him there, and as you look at the various spectators of the cross, and we see the scenes of the cross and the supernatural events of the cross, and then we hear the words of Jesus from the cross. It, it brought people to a decision, and heaven and hell would be determined by that decision. And we talked about the chief priests, the religious leaders, the crowds. When they came to the cross, they scoffed. They mocked. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to them that perish the cross or the preaching of the cross is foolishness. And when I speak of the cross today across America and across the world, for multitudes of people, Jesus Christ and the cross is foolishness. I was telling somebody that if we were to go back to 2001, we call it 911, September the 11th, 2001. And we know the towers that came tumbling down that day. And I used to hear after the towers fell all across America and on the news and radio and television, I would hear this statement, God bless you. And people were talking about what great revival was coming to our nation. Interestingly, it did not have much effect upon the churches. Not many people made their way after 911 to the churches. And here's what I began to notice. People would talk about God, but they wouldn't talk about the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is offensive. And coming to Jesus requires a decision. And so we find that many that came to the cross continued on and they perished because they looked upon the cross is foolishness. Now we dealt with the two thieves, and they illustrate the eternal nature of that decision. Both thieves were near Jesus. Jesus was in the middle. Uh, they saw the same things. They heard the same words. They were in equal distance from the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had opposite responses. Uh, one thief that we spoke about on Sunday night came to know Jesus Christ. Lord, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And the Lord spoke those words that we talked about. Verily I say unto thee this day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. The cross brought him to a decision. But the other thief had equal opportunity. The other thief continued on in his lost condition. The other thief continued on in his mockery. And not long after those words spoken by Jesus Christ, all three would die. Jesus Christ, his blood would be presented on the mercy seat and the veil of the temple would be rent. And one thief would wake up in paradise. And one thief in hell would lift up his eyes being in torment. Eternal decisions were made at the foot of the cross. We spoke of the Roman centurion. In the beginning, the Roman armies 
and soldiers, part of the garments of Jesus Christ. Jesus considered just another criminal. He was expendable. They were doing their duty to get rid of the, uh, the criminal, to get him out of society. But the Roman centurion came to realize through the scenes of the cross that there was something different about this man. He was not like the others that had been crucified before. Now, this man truly, as he spoke, was the Son of God. And I think there's the indication that that Roman centurion that day came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. The cross brought him to a decision. Now, we pulled up our chair tonight, and we've looked at the cross. We brought the scenes of the cross before us. We looked at some of the spectators there at the cross. We heard the spoken words of Jesus from the cross. And then we've seen the spiritual decisions at the cross. See, the cross calls each of us to a decision. We can't ignore the cross. That's to reject Jesus Christ. We must do something. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it calls us to salvation. It calls us to the place of the thief that got saved and to the place of the Roman centurion. Demands a surrender of our lives, doesn't it? To understand that there upon the cross, my sin, your sin, was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there upon the cross, he was made to be sin for us, though he knew no sin. There at the cross, he was made every vile thing and thought that you have ever committed and thought and said in your life. That's what he became there upon the cross. That's why the wrath of God was poured upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why from the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished, it's done, the debt is paid, it's paid in full. See, it demands from us a decision. And as we come to the foot of the cross, if you're not saved, it would call you to that place of salvation. But friend, if you're saved, it would call us to what Romans chapter 12 says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When the Bible says it's your reasonable service, it, it's what should be required. He gave everything. And he's asking you to come to him with your life as a living sacrifice. The setting of the cross the spectators at the cross, the supernatural events of the cross, the spoken words of Jesus from the cross, the spiritual decisions of the cross. What say you of the cross tonight? Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain. It's free to all, and it flows from Calvary's mountain. With their heads bowed tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed.